So Korach's argument in this week's Torah portion at first seems so reasonable. In the book of Numbers chapter 16, Korach challenges Moses and Aaron's authority. He gathers 250 leaders onto his side, and then he picks a fight with Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Rav Lechem, you have gone too far by taking over the leadership of this people, for all of us are holy. Why do you raise yourselves above the rest of the community? Seems legit. After all, they are all holy. They all heard God speak to them on Mount Sinai. So what gives Moses and Aaron the right to assume leadership? This is Korach's argument. Oh, right. One problem with this logic. It was God who picked Moses and Aaron. And if we look closely, we also see that Korah has cunningly chosen a very opportune time to challenge Moses. Korah waits till the people are no doubt very unhappy with Moses and then tries to create a coup. The Israelites have just been told that they will die in the wilderness living there for another 38 years. No better time than that for Korach to try to rise up against those annoying cousins of his, Moses and Aaron. Korach, of course, isn't really interested in doing what is right. His only concern is self-aggrandizement. He certainly knows well that God chose Moses and Aaron. God makes this clear from the beginning. For example, by giving Moses the ability to perform miracles in Egypt. And Korach, like the rest of the community, witnessed God speaking to Moses for 40 days at Sinai. But nonetheless, Korach hopes that with a power play, he can topple Moses. In our tradition, such an argument is known as a machloket lo l'shem shemayim, a quarrel that is not for heaven's sake. Judaism teaches us that each dispute, each machloket, is either l'shem shemayim, for heaven's sake, that is truly offered for constructive purposes, or lo l'shem shemayim, meaning for other less pure motives, such as prestige or power or revenge. I remember in my first year of rabbinical school in Jerusalem, a seasoned rabbi wisely told our class that every argument that we would have as a rabbi that was truly l'shem shemayim, that is when we felt that we were arguing for what was right, even if we lost, we would have won because we stood up for our principles. And every machlochet shalolashem shemayim, every argument we engaged in that was not for good reasons, even if we won, we would really have lost. Our rabbinic tradition teaches this too. In Mishnah Avot, the sayings of the fathers, 
It says that any dispute, which is L'Shem Shemayim, is, de is destined to endure. What does that mean? Rabbi Avadia Mibartinora gives his view that this means that people who engage in conflict for good reasons will endure and not be lost. To put it in other words, their lives are anchored by their values and they will not lose their way. This is such an important teaching about reflecting carefully on when we argue and why we argue. Our tradition here guides us to think before entering a debate and make sure we are doing so for positive reasons. I think there's a corollary to this too. It seems to me that this teaching also urges us that there are times when we should speak up and argue, even when we don't really want to be involved. This too is for heaven's sake. For me, reading Korach this month dovetails beautifully with this being Pride Month. The two together are a beautiful study in contrast, showing when to and when not to speak up. I am proud of our Reformed Jewish movement, which is so committed to moving our world in positive directions. Our Torah and rabbinic texts instruct us repeatedly to actively engage in making this world better. Reformed Judaism, I think, more so than any other of the Jewish denominations, really works hard at social justice. I don't think we talk about this wonderful aspect of our movement enough. You and I and our Reformed Jewish leaders spend substantial money, time, and valuable human resources on work that focuses on creating more justice, equity, diversity, inclusion, hunger relief, reproductive rights, and answers to climate change, just to name a few of the important areas we are involved in. And thank goodness our leaders are not afraid to argue with politicians, world leaders, and others in power when it is in their belief for the sake of heaven. Like Korach, we are not afraid to say to people, Rav Lechem, you have gone too far when we believe it is the right call. But unlike Korach, we are not doing it for self-serving purposes, but because we hear God's call to make this world better. So when you think about whether or not to be a Reformed Jew, I hope you will remember that ours is the movement that helped create some of the key civil rights legislation in our country. And we are the American Jewish movement that puts financial and human resources into having a religious action center in DC because we know that to create positive change, we must be involved in meeting with and talking with our political leaders. Unless you say, what is it all for? Does positive change ever really happen? I want to share with you that this Pride Month, the Reform Movement has been running a series of blogs written by Reform Jewish LGBTQ rabbis in which they tell the stories of their years in the rabbinate. 
their, snor their stories mostly begin with hardship. Some of them share their pain from just a few short decades ago when LGBTQ rabbis stayed closeted in order to get into HUC, the Reform Rabbinical School, and to be hired by congregations. Reading these accounts reminded me that when I was first hired as a rabbi 29 years ago, one congregation's senior rabbi admitted to me that his congregation did not hire one of the candidates because the search committee did not feel that their congregation was ready yet for an openly gay rabbi. It's hard to read the accounts of the anguish of these rabbis and what they went through as they faced prejudice and bigotry and struggled to get pulpits. But at the same time, it is gratifying to see through their eyes the progress that has been made over the years in our own movement in terms of becoming more welcoming and embracing of LGBTQ individuals. These rabbis courageously led the way and helped change perceptions and norms by becoming less closeted over time or being out as a gay or trans rabbi the entire time. One of these rabbis wrote in his blog, while the journey to full acceptance and welcome within the community was not an easy one, I never imagined during my time as an HUC JIR student hidden deep within the closet that my career would be so fulfilling and so meaningful. While doors were closed to me along the journey, I'm pleased and proud that over the years, more and more of those doors swung open. The seminary that wouldn't have ordained me had I been out, later invited me to teach and mentor students. The world of synagogue life that was originally closed to me embraced me and my partner in the end. They opened doors and hearts, allowing me to serve as their rabbi with complete openness and integrity. I feel privileged to have shared my professional journey with a loving partner, caring friends and family, and a supportive community. Together, we forced open the doors so that future generations of rabbis could walk through them with their heads held high. The enormous change that has happened in the lifetime of these rabbis is a reminder that we can indeed bring about real progress when we speak out. May this Pride Month, coupled with Korach's self-serving quarrel, remind us to courageously use our voices, but to do it as our tradition says, says so beautifully, only for the sake of heaven. Kenya Hirat Son, may this be God's will. Amen. <laughs>